0: for the persecutor, love your enemies pray for those who
1: persecute you if you grew up in the church you've probably heard those words a thousand times i think those words are going to come alive for you in a fresh way today as you listen to our conversation with our guest we're just calling her sister amber in order to protect her identity and her security Amber worked in Tibet for 16 years, and that's impressive because Tibet is a closed country. It's not like you can go down and get a visa if you say, hey, I'm a missionary, I'm a gospel worker, I want to come live in Tibet. They'll say, no, 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 we don't want you here. So I asked Amber, how did God open the door for her to be in the country?
2: My first entry into Tibet was actually through a a Christian NGO. I was actually invited by them to start some food gardens for Tibetan farmers. While I was with them, I trained up one of the local uh, people to work with me. We worked very well together, and I basically passed everything on to him. And at that time, I remembered saying to this dear doctor who I was working with that my heart's ready for the Ngari nomads, (laughs) And so I would be doing this for perhaps two years at the most, but then I want to be moving up north, northwest into Lhasa. And she was okay with that. She knew where my heart was. The beauty of that was I changed then from a work visa to a business visa at the time. And I was allowed to do that. The Lord just opened the way. When the Lord wants you in a place, he'll (laughs) open the place, even though the authorities don't know it. (laughs) He's got this way of just moving. It was just like God gave me favor. And so I was able to move over to Lasse.
1: So even the work then continues on and God just kind of used that to get you in the door and then move you to where he wanted you to be. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the nomadic people that you are particularly have a heart for and were drawn to because uh, their lives are are very different <laughs> yes. from ours and even different from most of the other people in Tibet.
2: Yes. They're very nomadic. They're probably one of the most nomadic groups left in the world today. They live at an elevation of between 5,500 meters and 6,000 meters. They're often proudly refer to themselves as the roof on top of the roof of the world. <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I think Tibet's often called the roof of the world. Uh-huh. So they're on... They're the roof on top of the roof, and they have winter summer camps. They live in tents. They are a beautiful culture. When I, when I first met them, I actually felt like I was going back through a time warp with them. They live in these yak hair tents, which is made out of yak hair. Their clothing, everything, they make themselves from yak hair or sheep wool. They barter and trade. They don't really use money, so they're still barter and traders. They'll barter and trade with the farmers because they don't grow anything. So they really herd. They herd with yak and sheep. And to them, their wealth is in their animals. So the more animals they have, if they have like 100 yak or 100 sheep, it means they're wealthier than somebody with 40 or 50 or 30. They're very family-orientated. Usually you'll find the women are always around the tents, And the men are out with the animals, herding probably even in the summer months. They'll sometimes be herding as far as a day or two away. And then they start coming closer and closer to the tents. And then as the winter comes, they will then gather the tent up, pack everything up, and put it on the back of the yaks. And then they'll trek for three, four days to their winter camping grounds and then set up camp there for the winter months.
1: So what is their religious background or their kind of traditional faith?
2: This this is interesting because they Tibetans normally are Buddhist, and they are Buddhist because they consider themselves Tibetan, but they are also very strong believers of the of the old belief of Tibet, which is the Bon belief, uh, which is one of the oldest occults in the world. That was the original Tibetan belief, but when Buddhism came to Tibet, they adopted that. And they kind of combined the two together. Now, when you're with the nomadic groups, well, the, the Ngari nomads in particular, you'll find that they practice more Bon than they do Buddhism. They kind of pay more lip service to Buddhism. But Bon is somehow more important to them because they have, it's very close to nature. And obviously, they're people of the earth. So the mountains rivers lakes are very important to them and have spiritual relevance to them so like a mountain will have a spirit a lake will have a spirit and they'll pay, pay homage to that and the weather is very important to them the rain is kind of has, has got spiritual connotations as well snow ice all that wind so that to them is extremely important in their belief so bon is is probably their strongest belief still, but they do do Buddhism as well uh, because they're Tibetan.
1: So uh, into those two belief systems, how hard is it to come along and say, let me tell you about Jesus? (laughs) It's
2: very, very hard Um, because the Bon belief combined with Buddhism has created a very tantric form of Buddhism. Tibetan Buddhism is probably one of the most complex forms of Buddhism today in the world if you're sharing, sharing about Jesus with them they're, they're interested because they love stories <laughs> they're storytellers so they love knowing about you they love the fact that you believe in something as well they don't like it if you don't really believe in something or have a belief and they'll sort of listen with interest but their mindset is such that they would see Jesus as a, a, a reincarnation of Buddha or something that's the way they would think of it and say, well, that was great, you know, and all that. But now, you know, we have the Dalai Lama. Or he, he was another reincarnation of Buddha. Um, so it, it's very difficult. And also their language, the Ngari Tibetan language, is not a written language. It's an oral language. Oh, wow. So it's very, very difficult to sometimes bring some of these concepts across. So I find mostly you have to live your life as an example before them example of Christ's love to them, his friendship to them, um, the fact that you do everything possible to show how much you love them and care for them, and this often bowls them over, because why would you want to do these things? And then you bring the servant heart attitude to them,
1: and I know you shared this morning in our chapel service here at VOM about a specific way that God called you to be involved in showing that love. Can you can you share a little bit of that story?
2: My friend who came to know the Father back in—it was the end of August 2012—after many years of him working with me in December of 2012 on Christmas Day— the father showed me and him that he wanted us to wash the feet of the nomads and it was 25 families that, we were, that I already knew who I had a wonderful relationship with and it was just so beautiful because Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and in that way bringing to them what it is to serve them and that we're no better than them. We're here to love them and to serve them. And we went out to do this without them knowing that we were coming in the middle of winter on Christmas Day. <laughs> very, very cold. We hiked up through these mountains over over the shoulder of a mountain. And I remember the Lord just saying clearly to me as well to just stand back and let my friend do the ministry because he was bringing him into a ministry situation. And I was just to help him. We realized that we were probably going to have to walk miles for quite a few weeks to get to the other families and when we got over the shoulder of the mountain to the first family we saw there was a gathering of tents all around this one family that we were uh, first going to visit and it was every single family that we were meant to wash the feet of. And
1: normally they wouldn't all camp together like that. And they would not camp together. Normally they would all be spread out.
2: Yeah, in their winter camps. So it was really, it, it was just like the father knew. He knew. He knows all things, doesn't he? He knows what's over the mountains and what's going to happen. And so he brought them to us. And my dear friend then shared with them, told them why we were there, which was so beautiful. Just seeing him doing it in their language and all and an and astonishment on their faces because these people only bathe like once a year, <laughs> usually in August. <laughs> they have the bathing festival. And that's when they they will actually wash themselves. So to to actually take their feet and wash their feet, which is the lowest part of their bodies, and is seen as a taboo part of their body, was very humbling. They were just so taken with it. So they lined up. They got themselves organized, and we went into the one tent, and we just took snow and melted that, and then I had I had soap. And we bathed their feet, my friend bathed them, and I I toweled them dry. And while he was bathing them, we just prayed over them. And we did everybody right through to little babies and little children, aunts and uncles, grannies and grandpas, uh, mums and dads. We were busy with that until about midnight. And it, and the wonder of that was, it, it was such a breakthrough because i have been sharing about Christ with them for a long time. And when they realized this is what Jesus did, and we were about to leave to go back to Lhasa. They'd said to us, please, will you come again and tell us more about this Jesus now, which was a fantastic breakthrough. Because every time in the past when I'd spoken about him, they actually became more religious in their own religion. <laughs> <laughs> and now this time they were more interested in who is this, who, who is Yes. Who issue. is this guy who inspired yes. you to come
1: all yes. the way up here and yes. wash our feet? Yes. Now, your friend that you talked about that, that mm. you ministered alongside, yeah. I know as, as you saw him come to faith, you also saw the price that had to be paid in, yeah. in that culture. Yes. And I know, you know, mm. he's still in some danger, so we don't want to say a lot of details about yeah. him. But can you share a little bit of, of the suffering that he faced yes. simply for coming to Christ?
2: When he came to know the Lord, it was in August of 2012. And um, what it was, he came to me one day and he couldn't sleep. He had these terrible um, thoughts the whole time. I remembered him saying that to me, that he thinks all the time and, and he can't sleep. I spoke to him again about Jesus and he knew that I was a Christian and he'd heard about Jesus many times. And he also became rather religious about his own religion (laughs) (laughs) at that time. But he came to me and he asked me if I would pray to my God for him. So I said, yes, of course. And I said to him, actually, I'm praying for you all the time. (laughs) He told me his difficulty. And then I said to him, I said, when you go home and you go to sleep tonight, just remember Jesus' name. Just call on him and he will help you. And so he went home. And that night, well, he couldn't sleep, and he had an encounter with Christ. Jesus came into his room, put his arms around him, and spoke to him in his language. As a result of that, he came to me the very next day, just beaming. (laughs) And I knew immediately he had been touched by God. And I, I just said to him, to my friend, I said, Jesus has touched you. And he said, yes, he's real. (laughs) And he said, I had the most peaceful sleep that I've ever had. And then he wanted to know more. And so I shared with him more. And then he was all about being baptized and that. But we didn't do it then because then he was also wanting to go and share with everybody, his family and his friends and everything. I did also try to caution him over that. (laughs) I said, you know, it's a bit dangerous, this sort of thing. But he said, "No, no, no! They've got to know. They've got to know. We, we're all wrong. We've got to have Jesus. Jesus is the only way." And off he went. And, and then he came back some time later, and he he had been ostracized. And this was heartbreaking because his whole family, his mommy's his dad, his brothers and sisters, and that they all ostracize him. His friends, and these are all Tibetans, strong. Buddhists,
1: and this is in a culture where family is very, very, very important. important. Yes, uh, to be cut yes. off from your family yes. is the worst thing. Yes, that could happen.
2: And he, he just—he was all alone. He had nobody, but me, in a way. And it was difficult, seeing as I was a single woman. I couldn't really have him actually in my home because it would have just caused problems, because I was living in amongst the Tibetan community at that time in Lhasa itself. I was the only foreigner in that particular compound and community. So I knew this would be a problem and I just didn't know what to do about this. But that's when he said to me, don't worry, he's going going to leave Lhasa and he's going to go to a village. So we prayed together and he left and then it was about a month or so later, he turned up on my doorstep, some in the middle of the night, banging on my door. I came down, and there he was. He'd been beaten. He was pretty much almost dead. How he got to my door, I don't know. But I took him through to the hospital. Uh, He nearly lost his life there. But the Lord brought him through, and then he started sharing in the wards. (laughs) 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 He couldn't keep quiet about Jesus. He he didn't learn his lesson. He didn't, no. But he was so on fire for God. And it was one incur- here I was trying to caution him, and yet here I realized what courage he had. And it was God doing that. And he just grew by leaps and bounds. And it was beautiful to see this. And I was so thankful to God because finally I, I've got a, a fellow worker, which is something I'd been asking the Father for for a long time. And the wonderful thing was a local person and it was a man which is very much needed in in such a culture
1: i'm touched by his story particularly that he said jesus came to me and he spoke my language, language yes. uh one of the things in some of these cultures well you know jesus is the american god or jesus is a yeah. western religion no yeah. no he came and he spoke, he spoke my him. language yes. Uh, yes. what a what a powerful ministry yes you know after after that time there came a day where the persecution came to your yes, doorstep, yes. Um, tell us a little bit about how how that happened, how you found out, okay, now it's it's me that's going to be persecuted. And also what kind of what was going on in your heart and in your mind during those first few moments when you realized, okay, this is the police, and they're here for me,
2: yeah, that was in January of two thousand and thirteen. Quite soon, actually, after the feet washing was the 5th of January, the morning, early hours of the morning of the 5th of January. Which I
1: think is interesting because the foot washing was such a breakthrough. Yes. Uh, You have these nomadic people who are saying, yeah, come back and tell us more about Jesus. And then just a few days later, there's a knock on the door and it's the police.
2: Exactly. When I think back at that time, I didn't think in that way because I was afraid and I didn't know what was going on. And everything in your human your human body just reacts to, to something which is really horrible and something that you almost can't believe this is happening to you. And you just want it to stop. You just want to stop it now. Even at your door, you want to stop it from going any further. But that wasn't to be. But in hindsight, when I think back on that, I realize it was Satan. He was very, very unhappy about that feet-washing process because it was 25 nomadic families and for the first time really being touched by Christ. So in a way, throughout the months that the persecution happened on my own life, I also gradually began to realize that. The comfort from that as well was realizing you really are in the will of God. And as the Lord put it on my heart, Later on, in, in, while they were interrogating me and persecuting me and making me, wanting me to write things which I couldn't agree with, um, he was reminding me again and again that it's because of me you're being persecuted. That encouraged me a lot to push through, to, to stand my ground on Christ. And he, he imparted in my heart a great love for the persecutors, in such a way that I'd never experienced before. That I could actually, as they were hitting me and doing what they were doing, I could love them and I could express that love back to them every time they struck me. I could just impart this love of Christ to them and telling them that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, and finally when the Lord just imparted in my heart the words that he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And it was just so deeply special to my heart, and it gave me a, a deeper realization of what the crucifixion really is about too. It's It's so much more than what we even know from when we're in our churches and that. It's so much deeper and so much beyond what we just know from the Bible even.
1: I want to unpack a little bit because yeah. what you've said is just really amazing. But when they first came, you had that fear and you had yes. that human. And I think all of us who are yes. listening can, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I would be. I would be like, oh, oh, this is terrible. Yes. And then at some point you transition to, OK, God's going to use this. And you're able even to love. Mm-hmm. How long did that process take and what happened that brought you over from fear to okay Lord, whatever you have in mind, I'm I'm willing to be your servant in this situation.
2: That started happening actually in the first few days. When they had me in the office and in this room where they locked me in there with these five policemen. They had on the table this this paper that they wanted me to write. And admit to things that I hadn't done.
1: And they had a list of things they wanted you to admit to. It it wasn't your confession. It was they wanted you to write their confession.
2: Yes. And it was things that I've never done in my life even, you know. Um, It was trumped up charges. And I've since learned that this is what they do to cover themselves or something. But anyway, so it was trumped up things. And I knew they wanted me to write in my own handwriting, because then I'm admitting to this and then signing at the bottom, and then supposedly I would be free. But I knew instinctively in my heart I wouldn't be. That would give them recourse to to sort of convict me or something. And it was during that that the father, with all that was going on, that's when the Lord just showed, started showing me when I didn't know what to do and I was terrified you get to a point where you think, Well, should I just write this or shouldn't I? You know, what 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 do you do? You don't know what to do. You have nobody to talk to. Not in the physical sense. I only had the Lord. I could only rely on Jesus. And um, that's when he imparted in in my spirit that I was just to write my test me down and to write the reason I'm here in, in Tibet is to bring the love of Christ to these people and to them, even as persecutors, because he loves them and he wants them in his kingdom. And they were ripping it up, making me write again, making me write again and leaving me sometimes for hours. They would come in, rip everything up, and they really started getting more physical with me. Every impact, he said, now love them and tell them, verbalize it to them. And this is what I did. I just... I just had the strength in me to say, God loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Yes, you I need. Yes, you I need. in Chinese because they were Chinese.
1: In my mind's eye, I see them getting more and more frustrated. Yes. <laughs> we're we're trying to scare this lady. We're trying to cause her pain. And all she's doing is responding that Jesus loves us. Yes. Did you see that kind yes. of anger and yes. frustration? Yes.
2: And And eventually, actually, what then also happened, three of them left, and they left me with two. Three left, they were so frustrated and angry they got out. But the two they left me with were the worst. And they were just really, really trying to rip into me. That's when I could start saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because the physical aspects were not pleasant at all. As a woman as well, they were just really trying to Get me into place of such submission to them that I would end up doing anything they wanted. But God prevailed in that. Yeah.
1: So even in the interrogation chamber, even under mm. torture, persecution, yeah. torture, yeah. your testimony is God was there and well, He was... empowered me yes. to stand firm.
2: Yes, and to yes, and to love them.
1: When we read in the scripture that uh, you know, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say, when, when you're interrogated mm, yes. and when you're questioned, yes. what does that verse mean to you now that it didn't mean to you before this experience?
2: I think it was a great encouragement to know that I didn't have to admit to anything without God's permission. And that in the eyes of the Lord, I was okay. I had done nothing wrong. It also gave me the strength to remain silent, even though they were wanting me to respond and to say things and to give in. But the way the Lord just held my heart and kind of closed my mouth, (laughs) the only thing was his love. And Father, forgive them. You know, for they know not what they do. And... What was implanted in my heart, my righteousness, is in him. The truth of who I am is in him. He knows me. They don't know me. This is just Satan trying to uh, corner me or make me confess to things that I've, I've never done. And the Lord is standing as a shield and saying, No, this is my child. And you will never, ever accuse her of anything because she's mine. She's my child and she's righteous and true before me. Uh, it, it was just such a comfort in a way to know that I could rely on him as well. And I could know I could start really trusting him. That if there was something else, else he wanted me to say, he would put it in my heart.
1: So really, even on a moment-by-moment basis, you were yes. just waiting on the Lord. Yes, yes. What I do you want me pray. to say? Yes. Or don't say anything at all. Yes. That's just amazing for us to think yes. about having that willingness to say, even when these yes. guys are beating yes. on me, Okay, Lord, if you don't want me to say anything, I'll just be quiet. Yes.
2: It's like he took my mind and controlled it with his.
1: It's interesting, the the issue of controlling your mind. I think mm. there's a verse about them putting on yes. the mind of Christ. Christ. Yes. Even in that setting, yes. there's that opportunity. Okay, Christ, I want your mind, yeah, not my mind.
2: mind. Yes, because me, I, in my human capacity, I want to run away. I want this to stop. It's just too painful. But he gave me that— inc- just just him in me just strengthened my body. And it was his thoughts. It was his love. It was his mouth that spoke.
1: At the end of your time of persecution, Mm. um, they released you. They said, go out of our country and don't come back. Yeah. Uh, If you do come back, you're going to go to prison.
2: Yeah.
1: How did that How did that feel when that day came and you realized, okay, the Lord has seen me through these months, I've been faithful to Him, and now I'm free?
2: It's an anticlimax, really. I was shocked at at the sort of sentence. I was also relieved, very deeply relieved that somehow God's God's moved and I'm free. But I I also didn't trust it. Because it I was going over land too. So it wasn't like to the airport and out, it was sort of overland, so I'm thinking, well what's gonna happen along the way? And and they could change at any any moment. It was also a lot of pain because I was leaving a group of people that I can never come back to, who I've given my heart for. It was really a mixed bag of emotions. I can't say I was relieved but I was also very very sad very heartbroken at the thought of not have been able to return to this beautiful country to these beautiful people who I really really had a deep love and care cared about but I was also incredibly relieved
1: and I think it's interesting because obviously Jesus on the cross said it is finished yeah God said to you several times during this period it's, it's not, not finished. finished yes I'm not done
2: that was Amazing, because when I now knew that I was going to be freed, set free at the border between Tibet and Nepal, a big question in my heart was, why has this all happened? What was this all about? I've learned their language, all this sort of thing. Like, what what is this all about? And then him reminding me, but it's not finished. I have a bigger purpose for your life, and your ministry is going to increase. It's going to be even bigger than what it has been, and I kept thinking, "Well, what do you mean by that, lord? because i'm I'm leaving Tibet. <laughs> this is where my heart is, this is where my these people are. And it was then that he sh- showed me through my journey down to to Kathmandu, when I got to Kathmandu, and this travel agent that that I was brought to, and the director of this travel agent came down, lovely man who God just used to bless me. He took me into his office to have some tea and that, and then, and I was, I was just crying and broken and just really trying to, you're trying to control yourself, but you can't cause you just so you in this anticlimax, everything is just unburdening on you and you're just crying. And he was so kind and so thoughtful and the way they kept on saying nepal it's okay nepal's a good place
1: (laughs) (laughs) you're free now it's okay
2: and and in his office it was in his office and he he pushed this this dvd across to me and said this is a film that's been made a documentary film for the first time made of all the tibetans found in the himalayas of nepal and he he put it pushed it to me and said i know you love tibetan people And right there and then, at that moment, I felt the Lord saying, See, it's not finished. The same group of nomads are found in the Himalayas here in Nepal, just across the border from Tibet. He also revealed to me in that time that China, very bizarrely, they had just recently, in the recent years, reopened an ancient trade route between the nomads of Tibet the Ngari nomads of Tibet and the Ngari nomads of, of Nepal. Wow. And it was like a conduit that the Lord then just showed me up in in, in this particular region in Nepal where these nomads are. And they had, and they had only done it about a few years ago. I wasn't aware of that until I got to Nepal. And then it was like the Lord just saying to me, See, See? it's not finished. I have a plan. <laughs> yes. Um, so that that just... That just jowled in my heart.
1: And I want you to share a little bit because you shared in chapel. Again, we're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with Sister Amber. Uh, She has been a gospel worker in the nation of Tibet. You shared this morning about a drawing in your mom's prayer book. Yes. After you Mm -hmm. eventually got out, after you got back with your mom, you hadn't really been able to communicate to Mm -hmm. a lot of people from within this situation But your mom showed you something in her prayer book, and I want you to share that because it's pretty amazing.
2: Yes. When I got home to my country, um, and my mom had been praying for me because she had been aware. I have an amazing mother. She's a great prayer warrior, and she loves the Lord with all her heart. And I just thank the Lord every day for such a mom. When I got home, one of the first things she showed me was her notebook at the time of praying for me, and she had this drawing of a table with me sitting on the other side and five policemen, five people on the other side. And she didn't know. She had no clue that that was the setup I initially had at all, but the Lord imprinted this on her heart, and she was praying over that sort of drawing that she made as, and my mum was showing me on the drawing. She pointed to one person, the head of one of the people, and show, And the Lord showed her he's got a special, very special plan for that man who's one of the policemen that was interrogating me. And it's out of that that was such confirmation again to me when at the time of going through this kind of interrogation and and persecution that when the Lord also clearly said to me, these people who persecute you, the only way they're ever going to know about me is through them persecuting my children. They're an unreached group of people. They they will never have the opportunity of knowing about Jesus Christ. This is the way they meet my children and come to know who I am amazing which is how do you think of that it's so it's just again the Lord just saying to me so will you let me use your body so that they can come to know me as their Lord and Saviour they can have the opportunity for the first time in their lives to know who I am
1: And so thousands of miles away, not knowing what you're going Mm. through, your mom draws a picture in her notebook of you at a table Mm. with five men around you, and God says, this guy right here, I got big plans for him. Yes. Amazing. (laughs) I want to encourage our listeners because... We don't know that guy's name, and if we did, we wouldn't tell you. But I want you to join in that prayer um, hmm. that that God has said, I have big plans for this guy. Yes. And I want you to join in yes. praying that God's plans will be fulfilled in his life. Whatever yes. that means. However, God's going to get a hold mm. of him. We don't know all those answers. Yeah. We may not know till we get to heaven. Yeah. But just I want you to join in that prayer uh, with us here, with Sister Amber and with her mom and her prayer notebook. Mm. Um, yes, that you will just uh, join in that prayer, mm. Amber. One of the things that that amazes me, and I think amazes American Christians, because mm. we're we're pretty comfortable. Yeah. Um, the New Testament talks about persecution as an honor. Mm. Uh, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for yes. the name. Yes. What do you say to that? How How do you respond to that? Because you've been there. You've yeah. experienced it.
2: At the time, you don't want it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Please give this honor
2: to someone else. I don't think the Lord asks us to go and look for it. But he he was gracious enough to warn us that these things will happen because of him. Having gone through it, and I look back now, it was an awesome privilege. I can say that from the depth of my heart. And if people say, ask me now, would you, you know, if, if you could have avoided it, would you have, well, Firstly, I don't know how to answer that because how do you avoid such a thing? You don't know when it's going to come. They could come in any moment in that door. You don't know. You you don't have that kind of forewarning. But I know in my heart, yes, Lord, it is a privilege. And sometimes it's a cross that we, He wants us to bear. And when I realized, too, that as he had put to me that this is the only way these who persecute my children will come to know him. That was just such a revelation to me of his love for them and made me think, okay, God, if, it, if this is what it takes to save even them, to bring them into the kingdom, and if this is what it means for your church to grow so more can come to know you, then, Lord, I, I don't belong to myself. I belong to him. And I truly feel that. And I just I just now sit back in awe that he, he considered me worthy of such an honor and such a privilege.
1: Sister Amber, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing mm. with us. Uh, our prayer is that God will take this broadcast and he will use it. Uh, to challenge some of those Western Mm. Christians, maybe to deepen their faith, maybe to draw somebody into Mm. full-time service, Mm. uh, maybe to go to Tibet, maybe to go to Asia, Mm. uh, maybe to go to somewhere else in the world. But thank you for your faithfulness, Mm. and thank you for sharing so Mm. openly with us today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Christians in hostile nations may live far from us, as believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of VOM Oz Radio. Voice for the Persecuted.